common misconception about Jesus is that he spent most of his time on earth, well, telling people how to get off earth and into heaven. This thought comes about because, well, Jesus is religious, right? And religions are about what happens to you when you die, right? Right? Well, that might be true, but Jesus wasn't very religious. So he spent much of his time saying something completely different. In fact, Jesus spent most of his time talking about how we get heaven to come here. When Jesus tried to describe what this was like, he used a very particular phrase. And that phrase was kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And today I want to talk about that. We'll begin where we left off in our last video in Mark chapter 4. Having just talked about not hiding the light, Jesus proceeds to tell a short parable. Yes, once again, he told a parable. As Madeleine L'Engle said, Jesus was not a theologian. He was a God who told stories. In Mark chapter 4 and verse 26, Jesus tells this parable. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow, he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. So let's begin here with this parable, as this is easily missed. Whatever the kingdom of God is, in this parable, it's here right from the very start. It's not the harvest or the growing plant, but it's the seed that is sown. And this is important because it means that the kingdom isn't something that's present in embryonic or limited form, waiting to become something else, but rather the kingdom is here presently in all its power. And it's here sown in the earth, right in our midst. The kingdom of God is as profoundly secular as it is spiritual. Yet despite Jesus' best efforts, we often talk about the kingdom of God as something far off that, that we're on a journey towards, something that, that belongs elsewhere, like in heaven. And this is despite everything that Jesus says about it. You see, Jesus' language about the kingdom of heaven, in fact, his language about God generally was consistent with what the Bible was always saying about God. Instead of God being sort of up there or far off, God in the Bible was always coming near. In fact, like think about the Christmas story's announcement of Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Or what about Jesus' opening line of his guide to prayer? your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The focus is not on what's happening there, but on what's going on here. So when Jesus arrives, Mark chapter one tells us in verse 15 that his preaching consists of him announcing the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom is here nearby, sown in the ground. Of course, 
It's hard not to connect this with Jesus himself, God with us, come to earth. Is he the kingdom sown in the earth that the parable speaks about? But of course, the seed doesn't just sit in the ground. Something happens to it. It it grows, it develops, it gets stronger. While the man who planted it just kind of carries on with life. Did did you notice that? He, He does nothing, but the seed is growing and he's not sure how. He's just, he's just like carrying on with life as normal. He, he goes to bed. He, he gets up. He eats eggs for breakfast. He goes to work. He picks up the kids from school. He paints the living room, files his taxis. He watches some Netflix, and then he goes back to bed. And he keeps doing this. And while he's doing this, all the meanwhile he's doing this, the seed of the kingdom is growing. And then comes the shocking and startling bit of it all. And those of us who are trained in religion, we're kind of expecting the bad news. We know how this parable is going to work. His lack of effort, his lack of care, his lack of work and focus means that the whole harvest is going to be ruined and go down the drain. But that's not how this story works. That's not how the kingdom of God works. Rather, what this story shocks us with is this line. All by itself, the earth bears fruit. All by itself. The Greek word here behind that phrase, all by itself, is the Greek word automate, which quite literally means automatically. The seed bears fruit automatically. The seed bears fruit automatically. It's what it does. It's in its DNA. It's how it works. While the man does nothing, the seed grows. Now just think about what this is saying. That the kingdom of God just needs to be placed in the world. As Robert Kappen notes, put it it into any kind of world. Not only into a world of hotshot responders or spiritual pros, but into a world of sinners, deadbeats, and assorted other poor excuses for humanity, which, interestingly enough, is the only world available anyway. And it will come up a perfect kingdom all by itself. Like the kingdom of God is like a guerrilla movement, an underground outbreak that is happening despite us and in spite of us all because Jesus put his feet down in our dirt on the earth. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the word repent in popular culture draws in memories of, you know, of those billboard guys that hang around on street corners or turn up at ball games all the time. You know the guy I'm talking about, the one that makes life Well, it makes life kind of difficult for all the rest of us Christians. Billboard guy generally has a sign, and the sign says something like, repent for the end is nigh. But of course, Jesus never said that. What's happened is that billboard guy has assumed that kingdom of God means the same thing as the end, and therefore assumes that the kingdom of God is something that's coming soon and that it's going to be bad for lots of people. 
Perhaps you've noticed that, like me, most of the billboard guys that I've seen kind of helpfully provide a list of all the people that it's going to be bad for. But here, here's the thing. If someone does listen to billboard guy, almost everything they do will be wrong because everything they've heard about God is wrong. Like they'll only repent because they're worried about what's about to happen. And their view of God will be one of terror rather than love. But kingdom of God doesn't mean the end that's coming. Rather, Jesus teaches us that it's already here. And that rather than it being some sort of apocalyptic future event, the kingdom of God is a way of being, a way of being now in the world. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, repent, what he's doing is he's inviting you into a new way of being that is radically different from the way that you're living right now. And there we see the beauty of following Jesus. Rather than stacking up all this stuff in the future for us, Jesus invites us to start a different way of life now, a way of life consistent with how we should live. Jesus' question is really, well, his question is this, is the way you're living now really the way you want to live forever? The kingdom of God is a way of being. It's a, it's a way of living that involves being in sync with God's intended way of life. And like the seed in the ground, it will grow and form within us and transform us into a whole new way of living. So when Jesus talks about kingdom, he's talking about how we'll live in the future with an invitation to live that way now if we'll follow him. That's why Jesus' guide to prayer is important for us. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is that we're okay for God to start shaping us in a particular way, to shape our hearts, shape our behaviors, to shape our attitudes. So rather than being a kingdom of armies and rules and soldiers and politics, as people would have been used to in Jesus' day, his language of kingdom describes an inner transformation that is worked out or lived out in our daily lives. Jesus explains this whole new vision for how we might live in a piece of the New Testament in Matthew's gospel, chapters, well, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount, which, which I always think is I always think it's a funny name for it. Like this world-shaping, culture-defining, life-forming piece of teaching. And the title we give to it is, you know, that sermon that Jesus taught on a hill. <laughs> That's like calling Luther King's I Have a Dream speech uh, a talk on a busy day in Washington. Or Kennedy's famous inauguration speech, Some Thoughts from January 1961. But Jesus' sermon is, is probably one of the most influential speeches from history, a three-chapter sermon that calls us to a radically different way of life. It is fundamentally a description of the kingdom and how it will look. The countercultural nature of the kingdom is instantly present to you as you begin to read this sermon. 
it begins, the sermon begins with a list, which I realize is not the most exciting of starts, but it's a list of people that Jesus calls blessed. But unlike on Instagram, where hashtag blessed brings up, you know, heavily makeup people in Mercedes or, you know, people on the beach or on a boat by the beach or with suitably beautiful children or bestowing the life-changing power of essential oils, Jesus starts up this sermon with a list of people that you and I would probably never call them blessed. The poor, mourners, the meek, peacemakers, even the persecuted, to name some of the people that Jesus lists. And then he continues to describe these kingdom people. He calls them salt and light for the world before he then jumps in to redefine a variety of social issues that we see. Murder is bad, Jesus says, but just as also bad is the way that we can be anger, angry and also at, throw insults at one another. Adultery is bad, Jesus says, but, but what you think about someone else can be just as bad. Jesus says things like, you know, if, if someone punches you, don't punch them back. Break the circles of violence. If local authorities abuse you, Jesus says, figure out a way to bless them because that's what's really gonna drive them crazy and change things. He then advises that real kingdom people would love their enemies and pray for their persecutors. Like, like really, Jesus? To which he replies, well, yeah, of course, because even the worst of people love people that love them back. Which makes me think that it turns out that it's not just love that will change the world, but it's who you love and perhaps how. He then shockingly tells us that money might get in the way of following God. And, and this kind of leads him to, to start riffing on a series of ideas that, that shape the type of lives he imagines we'll live. He says it like this. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? But look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Like, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Like, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This sermon on the mount was taught 2,000 years ago, which tells us that humans haven't listened or progressed very much in the past two millennia. Now, for some of you, those words will be brand new, never heard them before. For others of you, those words will be old and feel quite familiar. But for all of us, they have the potential to be life-changing. But as I read them, I found myself struck by a particular question, a, a quite simple question, simply this. What if Jesus really meant this? Like, what if he really meant it? But then, like, another thought started to overwhelm that first thought. Like, this sermon is Jesus describing the kingdom to us, the kingdom which was the seed in the parable. This is what's growing where we'll, we're just going about living our lives like the man in the parable. So this led me to ask a new question. And I think perhaps maybe the more important question for us to ask, am I aligned with what God is doing? And Jesus describes the kingdom for us, this alternate reality growing around us, perhaps unseen, perhaps subtle, but it's happening. And so his entire sermon, the whole conversation about the kingdom of God in Jesus' ministry is about alignment, alignment with, with what God is doing. Like not what he might do, you know, not what he could do in the future, but what he is doing now in us and through us. Like check out Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. It says this, it says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, oh, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Like the kingdom of God is already in your midst. So the parable of the seed in the ground that we started with tells us something profound about Jesus and his kingdom. So the kingdom of God isn't about what happens when you die. As James Cone said, it's not a drug that helps us adjust to this world by looking for, for pie in the sky. Rather, it's an on earth, as it is in heaven, way of life. So Jesus is telling us that God has the future in hand, but there's a better way to be human right here and now than all the ways that we're trying. That's what the kingdom of God is, 
a better way of being human, aligned with the God who is fixing the whole world while we go about our lives. So, what does that mean for us? Like, how does that change our orientation? Is Christianity a religion that we practice that will one day hopefully rescue us from the mess that we're in? Or is following Jesus an invitation to realize that God is doing something in the very soil around us and in us that is going to change this world? Is it an invitation to align ourselves with the way the world is supposed to be? Like, How does this change how, how we think about our workplaces or our neighbors or the poor or about how we do conflict? Like, are we prepared to believe that the kingdom can grow in all those environments? Are we able to believe that the kingdom is growing in all those environments? It's quite a stunning parable, if you think about it. If you look really closely, it's a parable of grace. Because our religiosity and our desire to work our way to everything wants the parable to give us something to do. But that's not how grace works. Instead, this parable is about letting something happen. The kingdom is a gift, not a set of rules. The kingdom is something that happens in you and through you. So when we follow Jesus, like really follow Jesus, the kingdom is something that happens automatically. Automatically. May his grace and peace be with you.